What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods coming at y'all with our first week six preview of the week. And we had to start at the Deep South's oldest robbery in Auburn, Alabama this weekend. We got the number two ranked Georgia Bulldogs traveling to Jordan-Hare Stadium to take on the number 18th ranked Auburn Tigers. The Bulldogs, as I'm recording, are a 14-and-a-half point favorite. I'm sure that line's going to move back and forth. And this game is going to be kicking off at 2.30 p.m. Central Time live on CBS. It is the SEC game of the week for CBS, as it usually is. But this is going to be an extremely important game, not only for the SEC championship race, but it's also going to play a huge part in the college football playoff race. It has implications all the way down, including for one of the top contenders right now in Georgia, who many people, and as myself has said on our uh, week five recap, I think Georgia's the best team in the country right this second. So we have so many storylines to talk about now. We can start with the Bulldogs. They come in at 5-0, and looking to win their fourth SEC game of the season. They're coming off their second top 10 win of the season in a shutout win over Arkansas where they dominated from kickoff all the way up until that clock hit zero. But the questions surrounding the health of this team, especially at quarterback with JT Daniels, are, is one of the biggest storylines. He is questionable, probably is going to be a game-time decision as he was last week. So we'll see on him, Tyke Smith is questionable. And they just have a bunch of players across the board that may or may not play. The injury bug decided to pick on Athens this year, and so the Bulldogs are fighting that off as they're making their SEC championship run. On the other side, the Tigers come into this game after pulling out a huge win in Death Valley, their first win in Death Valley over LSU since 1999. They sit at 4-1 and one now with their only loss coming to number 4, Penn State. But now can the Tigers use some of that Jordan-Hare magic to pull off another upset like they did back in 2017 and 2013 to pull off a huge win over the Bulldogs. And can Bo Nix use some of that momentum from last week's special performance? We will see. But looking at the series history, man, the Bulldogs lead the overall series 61-56 with eight ties. That stretches This series stretches back to 1892, so we have a long history, a storied rivalry this weekend on CBS, and the Bulldogs have won four straight against the Tigers, and if they can pull it off this weekend, it will give them their longest winning streak since the 40s and 50s in this series. Now, the keys to the game, let's get to them. We'll start with Georgia. The key for the Bulldogs have to start with the rushing game, especially due to the uncertainty at quarterback with Daniels and, you know, what can Stetson Bennett bring to you on the road. And the Bulldogs absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage last week, and I would imagine they're looking to impose their will similar to what they did against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Now, they flexed their offensive muscle, but they also flexed the depth at running back that they really have in Athens. They have three to four guys they can rotate in at any time, and they can really test this Auburn front seven, and they can stay fresh and consistent in that backfield and rotate guys and never really experience a true drop-off. You look at Zamir White, four rushing touchdowns, almost 300 yards rushing, 
Kendall Milton, almost 200 yards rushing. James Cook, over 200 yards, two touchdowns. He's averaging over six yards per carry. And even Kenny McIntosh got into the system last week, and he has over 120 yards rushing this year. All four of those guys are going to be factors this weekend, and I really, really like. Just personally, if I had to pick one, I really like Samir White and Kendall Milton. I think that one-two punch is, is, is probably has the highest potential, but James Cook has been putting on a show, and I have been extremely impressed with him this year, really carving out his role in a very, very deep and talented Georgia running back room. Now, like I said, JT Daniels is probably going to be a game-time decision. He didn't throw on Monday, but Kirby Smart said he was going to kind of work his way into throwing this week, and they would make the decision later. I would be, I think this would be the perfect time to unleash him. But if not, you get Stetson Bennett coming in, who will be looking to, to beat Auburn for the second straight year. He started the game last year in Athens, in which the, the Bulldogs dominated 27-6 to over the Tigers. And the biggest thing, regardless of who starts, is to attack the middle of the Auburn defense has been the weakness all year long. LSU started to attack it early with Kayshawn Boutte, especially on that first drop, but then it really just kind of fell off late, and they really didn't have a great strategy. That's what Penn State did. Sean Clifford and Jahan Dotson picked this Auburn secondary apart, especially over the mid-range passing game, that intermediate stuff. Now, what has to happen for me is Bennett had a lot of success last year with these intermediate passes, and he's replicated it in this time this year. But the biggest thing is he's really been more consistent on the deep ball this year. He has an 86.5 PFF grade on passes 20-plus yards down the field, and that's where I think he's going to make a living is in that play action in where that Auburn defense gets sucked up because they just beat them and beat them and beat them over the head with the run game. And then what they're going to do is go right over the top. Auburn has a huge hole at safety, man. Their safeties are not great in space, especially in coverage. And outside of Roger McCreary, they really don't have that true shutdown corner. And I expect Auburn to take advantage of that. And then, you know, another big part of this key is the offensive line. They had a dominant performance last weekend, and I think it's going to be another key this weekend because when you look at this Auburn D-line, yes, they haven't been the most consistent all season, but they really made their impact felt in the second half of that LSU game and really was one of the catalysts for that comeback win for the Tigers. Now, you look at this offensive line, if only allowed three sacks, one quarterback hit, and 15 pressures over their first five games, and they're paving a way for a rushing attack with over with almost 200 yards per game and averaging over two touchdowns per game. They're big, they're physical, they're disciplined, and they don't make mistakes, and they have a nasty streak in them, and they absolutely showed that last week when Arkansas came to town and Georgia ran right through that defense. Now, on the other side, Auburn is similar because this Auburn offense has always, for years now, relied on the rushing attack to open up the offense, especially when you look at how dangerous this front seven and pass rushing can be for the Bulldogs. They can get pressure if a team becomes one-dimensional. But for me, the overall key is not only just to have the run game, but just get the running backs involved in the game plan, whether that be running and or short, quick passes and receiving and get them in open space. When you look at this Auburn offense, they have such a they have a lack of depth and a lack of proven talent at wide receiver. So the best way, best you know, playmakers to put the ball in their hand are at the running back spot. 
They're the most proven. They're the most consistent and easily the most explosive. And so they're going to have to go give these guys a chance to make plays in open space against these Georgia defenders. Bigsby, one of the best running backs in the country. He looks a little banged up. There's been reports he could possibly be nursing an injury, but we'll see more this weekend. But he has 430 yards rushing, averaging almost six yards per carry and four rushing touchdowns. Jarquez Hunter has been an outstanding breakout freshman for the Tigers. 447 rushing yards, averaging over 10 yards per carry and three rushing touchdowns. Then you have Shivers, who just came back from his injury and played a big role last week in that LSU comeback in the second half. Now, the, the biggest thing is they have to stick with the running game. Even if, it's not, even if it's not working early, you have to keep the Georgia defense honest. You cannot let them. Be, you cannot let Georgia make you one-dimensional. That's when things get very ugly. Just ask Arkansas. Just ask Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Clemson. You cannot let Georgia's defense make you one-dimensional. Get these guys on screens, swing passes, get them into the flats, and let them go make plays. It's going to, one, allow them to have more room to work against a very talented Georgia defense. It's going to get them more favorable matchups in the open space, and it's also going to limit the impact of the pass rush from this Georgia front seven. That's what they did in the second half against LSU, and it worked to it worked perfectly, and they need to replicate that this week and put some pressure on this Georgia defense, which really and truly has not had much pressure because they have just dominated everybody. And on the flip side, Bo Nix has to utilize all that positive momentum from last weekend. He's got to be a playmaker. I don't expect big passing numbers, but you just have to go out and make plays like he did last weekend. Make smart decisions with the ball and continue to be athletic outside the pocket and make plays with your legs. He's thrown for almost 1,000 yards, six touchdowns, still no interceptions, which is huge for Nix. 123 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown this year. He has to produce under pressure, though, and he's got to show the ability, like he did last week, to make something out of nothing this weekend because Georgia is going to get pressure against this Auburn O-line. They might be able to play well, but Georgia's going to get to him a few times, and he's got to turn those big potential losses and turnover downs into positive plays and or live to fight another day, get rid of the ball, find some way to limit the, the hurt that the Georgia front seven can bring on an offense. Nix is only completing 35% of his passes under pressure, grades below a 55, and passing grade when under pressure, and that's got to change. He changed it last weekend. Nix has to channel that inner Johnny Manziel and go make plays this weekend against this Georgia front seven if Auburn expects to pull the upset. Now, the matchup to watch for me is going to be the Auburn wide receivers against the Georgia secondary because the run game might be key for Auburn. But against this Georgia team, to upset the number two team in the country, you're going to have to be balanced. And you already know Bo Nix is going to have to make four or five throws in this game to win this game. He's going to have to try to find a way to make the plays when it's called on because Georgia's not just going to let you run freely on their front seven. And on top of that, Georgia's DBs have been a huge strength, even though many people had questions due to the inexperience and turnover they had in the secondary. Now, Auburn's wide receivers have been through a lot this season, a lot of turmoil, a lot of drama, and it culminated with Cornelius Williams being fired, the wide receiving coach, after week four struggle against Georgia State. Now, the season has been defined by inconsistency, by drops, and it's absolutely killed the offensive momentum in multiple games. 
16 drops this season for the Tigers. And then on top of that, no wide receiver is averaging over 15 yards per catch with more than 10 catches, and zero wide receivers are averaging more than eight yards gained after a catch. So no no yak from any of these wide receivers, and that is a major problem. They just don't have playmakers on the outside. The leading pass catcher is tight end John John Samuel Shanker with 18 catches for 236 yards, which really shows how inconsistent they've been. Demetrius Robertson has this revenge game this weekend. He has 17 for 172 and two touchdowns. And then Kobe Hudson and Shedrick Jackson have 14 catches apiece and a touchdown. So all three of these guys are going to have to find a way to step up for the Auburn Tigers. Now, they have to get separation. They have to make tough catches in coverage over defenders. And they also have to find a way to help Knicks make plays to keep this Georgia defense honest. Because if Georgia can just load the box and stop the run and trust their DBs on islands, it's going to cause a lot of problems for this Auburn offense. And it is a recipe for disaster for the Auburn Tigers. Now, the secondary for Georgia had the most turnover this season. They were, And then on top of that, they were hit with injuries and they've performed extremely well this season. And they've been the catalyst for a defense only allowing 110 yards passing per game and less than 4.7 points per game. Latavius Brini, Lewis, Lewis Kahn, and Chris Smith have been the highest-graded coverage defenders, and that doesn't even include the two corners who have been lights out in Keeley, Ringo, and De'Aaron Kendrick. That's been one of the best duos in the country. The secondary has seven INTs this season, led by Chris Smith at that safety spot. But one of the defining stats of the secondary is the is the catch percentage. Oh, sorry for for these um, cornerbacks. Ringo only allowing eight percent of his targets to be caught, which is only one catch this year total. And Kendrick's only allowing a thirty five percent catch rate on three catches. They are shut down. They are elite. They can be trusted on an island, and they match up very well with these inexperienced Auburn wide receivers. The secondary doesn't have to do anything special, guys. They just have to continue playing their type of game, which I define as suffocating physical brand of coverage, and I expect the secondary to come in with a significant advantage. And if they take advantage of it, Auburn could be in for a long day. Now, you know, I know everyone sees the Auburn jerseys in the background. They're like, man, he's got to be biased. He's got to be, well, listen, this podcast comes first before any, you know, alumni connections or anything like that. Listen, Georgia – I stand by the statement that they are the best team in the country. I think the matchup for Auburn in terms of what Georgia's front seven and run game can do is a or run defense can do is a terrible matchup. They have playmakers in multiple spots on the offensive side of the ball. I don't trust this D-line to get pressure on Daniels and or Bennett. And what I think is going to happen is Georgia's just going to pound the rock do exactly what they did against Arkansas, play stifling defense. And what they're going to do is get after Knicks in the passing game. And that front seven is going to go make plays. Listen, Nicobe Dean, and I said this on the crowded booth with Bryce Kuhn, Nicobe Dean is making his argument to be the best defensive player in college football, in my opinion, this season. He is playing lights out. He is fast, physical. He's commanding the offense. The Kobe Dean is the best linebacker in the country, in my opinion. He has played absolutely amazing football. 
Aubrey gets back Owen Papo, though, which should be a big help for their defense. But if Tyke Smith comes back for Georgia, you're talking about this Georgia defense going to a whole nother level because Tyke Smith is that type of player at that star position. For me, that defensive line with Jordan Davis and then Nakovi Dean, that linebacker, I just think Auburn's going to have a tough time moving the football consistently. I know the home crowd's going to be in it. I know they're doing, I believe they're doing a stripe out. I just think Georgia is too good for this Auburn team. I think Georgia continues to run to the national title or the SEC championship. I have Georgia winning this matchup 28 to 10 over the Auburn Tigers. I got an 18-point win, which is covering the spread for the Bulldogs. Yes, Jordan Hare's electric. Yes, Jordan Hare's special things happen. I just think this might be the best Georgia team that we have seen in a very long time. I think they're better than this 2017's team. I think they're better than the last national championship team in the 80s they've had. They don't have Herschel Walker, but they're better at almost every other position. This defense is legit. If JT Daniels can come back healthy, it's a problem. And for me, they just have too much talent, too much speed, and too much execution and momentum right now for the Auburn Tigers. And for me, Georgia 28, Auburn 10. Guys, Smack have a huge ranked SEC West top 20 matchup this weekend in Oxford, Mississippi, Vault Hemingway Stadium. And this is one of the matchups I think is most is really being overlooked. I know we got a top ten, a top five matchup over in Iowa that's getting a lot of attention. The Red River shootout between Texas and Oklahoma, George, Georgia, Auburn, the Deep South's oldest robbery. But you guys got to pay attention. 11 a.m. Central on ESPN. Ole Miss is a six-point favorite, but this game, number 13, Arkansas, traveling to number 17, Ole Miss, is going to be huge. And for me, it's really this is really a contender-pretender matchup. The winner takes a huge step forward in becoming a real contender in the SEC West, while the loser really falls back to the middle of the pack and really becomes an afterthought in that SEC West and really just overall SEC race. Both of these teams had tough matchups last week. Ole Miss having to go into Tuscaloosa, falling to Alabama, while Arkansas had to go into Athens. They ended up falling to Georgia. I don't think that says much about either team. I think both Alabama and Georgia right now are just light years ahead of any other team in the country right this second. And when you, this, this really becomes a must-win game for these teams, especially when you're looking at the gauntlet that is the SEC this year. They're going to have to move forward, and at least winning this game will put them in a great position to go make a New Year's Six Bowl run, depending on if Georgia and Alabama both make the college football playoff, which I think a lot of people right now believe that could happen. Now, for storylines, the Razorbacks come into this game 4-1 and one and have exceeded any and all expectations this season, to say the least. They got two top 15 wins. They ran into the Bulldogs, but right now they're still one of the Cinderella stories of college football this year, and a win can bring them back up into the top 10 and really set themselves up for a real New Year's Six Bowl run, which I think would be you know, way, way for, I guess, a way bigger deal than a lot of teams would believe because I don't think many people thought Sam Pittman would have this team in the top 15 in year two after where Chad Morris left this program just a few short years ago. So their season's not over in the slightest. A win in Oxford this weekend would do so much for this Arkansas program. Now, 
the Rebels. They come into this matchup also at 4-1, and one, and this game's not just important for the overall team, but it's so important for Matt Corral's Hosman campaign and, the, and just the overall Rebels season as a whole because a win here and Ole Miss finds himself right back into that top 15, top 10 conversation, and they're looking for their first rank win of the season. A lot of people have talked about the schedule thus far, that the one good team that they face, they lose to in Alabama. This is going to be a real litmus test to see where Lane Kiffin has this Ole Miss program. And also, it's an interesting matchup between two second-year coaches. A win for Arkansas would make Sam Pittman look like arguably the best hire of that cycle right now, saying, man, he's ahead of Eli Drinkowicz at at Missouri. He's ahead of Mike Leach at Mississippi State. He's ahead of Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. That hire of Sam Pittman looks better and better and better for Arkansas right now. And when you look at this series, the Raybacks series 37-28, to and they won last year's matchup after Matt Corral threw six interceptions in Fayetteville last year. And the Razorbacks have won five of the last seven matchups against the Rebels. So this has been a series shockingly dominated by Arkansas in recent recent memory. So Ole Miss also has a lot to prove this weekend in terms of pulling off the win in Oxford. They won the last matchup in Oxford. But historically, Arkansas has been the one to win this series. So let's get into the keys of the game. For Arkansas, we'll start here. It's the rushing attack. Is it any question what the what the key is going to be for Arkansas? They struggled last week to run the ball against the Bulldogs. They're going to have a much more favorable matchup this weekend, though, against Ole Miss. And they're going to have to revert to that form and that explosiveness that we saw against Texas and Texas A&M if they're, if they're going to escape with the win this weekend. Now, the rushing attack was the focal point through the first four games, was the missing link, but they're still averaging over 225 yards per game, over two touchdowns per game on the ground thus far. It starts with Traylon Smith over 300 yards rushing, three touchdowns, averaging about five yards per carry. He's going to have to have one of his better games this weekend. You saw what Brian Robinson was able to do last weekend against Ole Miss. Traylon Smith has to find some room and has to put on that similar type of performance. Now, Raheem Sanders, 185, over five yards per carry with the touchdown. He's he's also someone to watch out for, but I really like the kid Dominique Johnson for Arkansas this weekend. 157, averaging almost seven yards per carry and three touchdowns. I think Johnson really should be someone to look out for. I think he's going to get a lot of chances this weekend. And for me, this three-headed monster at running back could prove to be a key for, for this Arkansas team against Ole Miss. And then let's get right to the X factor. Y'all know who it is. K.J. Jefferson is easily the biggest X factor this weekend. Not only is he a large part of this attack on the ground, but he's done enough through the air to make this offense even more balanced and more dangerous. And this is going to be an important game for Jefferson to prove that he can do it against some of the top uh, against some of the top SEC talent. He did it against AM before he went out with injury, but now can he take it on the road and do it against a very good Ole Miss team? Now he's completed 59% of his passes. That has to improve a bit, but he's thrown for over 900 yards, over 10 yards of completion, six passing touchdowns, only two picks, over 230 yards on the ground, and two rushing touchdowns while averaging about six yards per carry. 
And one of the underrated aspects of Jefferson's game has been his elite deep ball. In a 90.1 pro football focus grade this season, he's thrown for over 300 yards, two touchdowns on passes beyond 20 yards down the field. He's averaging 24 yards of completion deep down the field. The goal of this offense, it's been the goal all season for, for Kendall Bryles, make you load the box, and then right when you load the box, they're going to throw it right over your head. They're gonna. They did it in the first half against AM. They did it against uh, Texas at times, and they do it just repeatedly. And that's something that was missing against Georgia is they weren't able to make Georgia load the box, and Jefferson didn't have enough time to be effective through the air. That's something to watch out for. That's something that they should be able to run the ball against Ole Miss. Now, can Jefferson make the passes he needs to down the field against this Ole Miss secondary? The weapon that no one talks about in this Razorbacks offense is Traylon uh, Burks, at wide receiver. He's the only Arkansas wide receiver with over 10 catches right now and by far the most explosive option on the outside of this offense. 22 catches, almost 400 yards receiving, two touchdowns, averaging over 17 yards per catch. The two aspects of Burks' game that has been explosive this year is the deep threat ability 89.6 receiving grade on, on uh, passes 20-plus yards down the field. And he's also been able to make plays underneath with short passes, 83.1 PFF grade. And he's averaging over 20 yards after catch when he catches passes beyond, uh, behind the line of scrimmage. So he's able to make plays in space. He's able to get behind the defense. And so he's going to be someone to watch in this passing game for the Razorbacks this, this, this game. Now, Moving to Ole Miss, the key for Ole Miss is not as obvious as many people think. It's a lazy analysis just to say Corral needs to go throw it around the yard. Because for me, the key is to stay balanced in their attack this weekend. Because, yes, Corral is explosive. He's dangerous. He's one of the Hosman contenders. But for me, for him to be at his best, the run game has to be more consistent, which I think really was the key to Alabama stopping Ole Miss last week. The Ole Miss offense is averaging over 550 yards of total offense per game. They're averaging 300 through the air, but they're also averaging over 240 yards rushing on the ground. For this Lane Kiffin Ole Miss offense to be clicking at its highest level, both aspects, the run and the pass game, have to be at their best. So starting with Corral, he was the leader for the Hosman going into last weekend. He's still probably right there in the top three, but he has to put a show on this weekend to keep his name in, in the running, and he has to avenge his six-interception performance from last season, which cost Ole Miss a very crucial game. Right now he's thrown for over 1,200 yards. He's he got 10 passing touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns, zero, zero interceptions, and he's averaging 9.7 yards per pass. And the re- I got even more stats for you guys. Listen, the reason the run game is so important is off of play action, Kyle is over 70% of his passes, 800 yards, seven touchdowns and zero interceptions with an 89.8 pro football focus passing grade. It shows why this rushing attack is such an important aspect of this Lane Kiffin offense and why Corral relies on the rushing attack more than people think. Setting the play action up for Corral is one of the most important aspects of this Ole Miss offense. And everyone just thinks he's back there in like a pro-style offense slinging the ball around. This run game plays such a big role in allowing him to be that dynamic passer that he is. And his legs give him a little bit of opportunity to go make some plays outside the pocket as well. 
the one thing about Corral is he has done an excellent job protecting the ball this season, and he deserves so much credit not to have an interception thus far. And if he can continue that this weekend, the Rebels are going to be tough to beat in Oxford this weekend for the Razorbacks. Now, the rushing attack has been explosive for them this season. I think it's the most underrated aspect of this team because the rushing attack is averaging over five and a half yards per carry, and they're averaging over three touchdowns per game on the ground. It starts with Jerry and Ely, 206 yards in a touchdown. Henry Parrish, the leading rusher for the Rebels, 221, a touchdown averaging over six yards per carry. Snoop Connor with four rushing touchdowns, 137 yards, and Corral, 161 and six touchdowns. Personally, I'll give you all my opinion. I think Snoop Connor is the best running back on this team. But I think I like how they use more than one running back, keep a fresh body in at all time, and all three of those guys are averaging over five yards per carry. So they have some versatility in how they can attack you out, uh, attack you out of the backfield. Now, I think this all Ole Miss offense should aim to keep this defense off balance and put pressure on Arkansas's linebackers and DBs to make plays in space against your athletes because that's where Ole Miss excels, and that's where last week you saw they really failed to take advantage of their playmakers in space last week against Alabama. Now, for the mass, for the matchup to watch, it was really hard for me to pick. I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I was thinking about when I first started you know, getting everything together, I thought I was going to go Ole Miss wide receivers versus the Razorback DBs because of Braylon Sanders, because of Jalen uh, Catalan, but for me – Looking at how I think this game is going to play out, I think the just slightly more important matchup is the Ole Miss offensive line against this Arkansas front seven because not only will this matchup determine the success of Ole Miss's offense and how balanced they could be, it also is going to determine how much pressure is going to be on this Arkansas offense to go blow for blow for Ole Miss because if this turns into a shootout, Ole Miss is going to win this game because I, I trust them to win a shootout more than I do Arkansas. So, this Ole Miss offensive line has played very well this year. They did lose the line of scrimmage battle against Alabama last week. But as as you look at the season as from like a macro perspective, they've been able to be more physical and impose their will against some of the other teams that they played, and they have to repeat that this weekend against Arkansas. They've only allowed five sacks, six quarterback hits, 21 hurries, and 32 pressures on Corral for the season. And they've paved the way for one of the best rushing attacks in the SEC. Now, the other thing is Corral is a different quarterback under pressure. That's why that's why I ended up going with this matchup because Corral grades above a 90 in passing grade when kept clean, but his grade drops to a 50 a below a 57 when he's under pressure. And for the Rebels to win this game, they have to have Corral being explosive and efficient to win this game. His completion percentage drops to 48% went under pressure, and he's only thrown for 240 yards and under seven yards per attempt went under pressure. That is huge if the Razorbacks can get after Corral and force him into some uncomfortable situations in and outside the pocket. Now, the offensive line for the Rebels has been led by Jeremy James at OT. He's been the highest-graded pass blocker on this team, but Ben Brown at guard has been the best overall lineman for the Rebels. And so if this unit can be consistent, if they can be physical and control the line of scrimmage, Ole Miss has a very, very good shot of getting out of Oxford with a win. Now, this Arkansas front front seven has been great. Outside of last weekend, they've done a great job slowing down rushing attacks. They stopped Bajon Robinson. They stopped Isaiah Spiller for A&M. 
and they've been getting really good pressure on the quarterback. 12 sacks and over 50 pressures for the Razorbacks over the first five games of the season. And let's just be honest, the star of this front seven, Trey Williams, top graded pass rusher for the Razorbacks, four sacks, 13 pressures in only five games. And on top of that, I really like the three-headed monster they can rotate in at D-tackle. Isaiah Nichols, John Ridgeway, and Markel Utzi on the inside of that defensive line all have played huge roles in being run stoppers and getting some pressure on the quarterback. But for me, the front seven is always is anchored by, for in my opinion, guys, just in my opinion, I think this linebacking unit for Arkansas is one of the best in the country, and no one talks about it. Grant Morgan, Bumper Poole, Hayden Henry are all problems. All of them are top three for tackles this season. Over a hundred, over almost 150 tackles combined over the first five games. And Hayden Henry is leading the Razorbacks for tackles for loss this season. They're playmakers. They can get after the pass rusher. They're disciplined in their experience. This linebacking unit is going to be the key for Arkansas to escape Oxford with a win this weekend. The front seven for Arkansas has to find creative ways to get pressure on Corral, make him uncomfortable in the pocket, and limit explosive plays both on the ground and through the air. If you can make Ole Miss drive bit by bit, that's your best chance for success rather than letting them get large chunk plays and getting that momentum. So we're going to see a big test for not only Ole Miss's offense, but Arkansas's defense. Now, I was a little shocked to see the spread and – for me, it's probably because of the home field advantage. I would imagine why Ole Miss is the favorite right now, just because they, like, I feel like these teams are very evenly matched. You got a very explosive offense for Ole Miss against a very good defense for Arkansas. And on the flip side, you have a great running attack versus a defense that, yes, they give up a lot of yards, but they've done very well of keeping teams out of the end zone up until last week. But for me, I said it on you know every show I've done, I just think Arkansas this year – it's a more complete team right now than Ole Miss. I trust their defense to get a clutch stop more than I do Ole Miss. And I just feel like they're going to be able to replicate the running success that Alabama had on Ole Miss last week. And I really feel like, you know, uh, Barry Odom on the defense side of the ball has a number and has a scheme that gives Corral issues. I expect Corral to have his first turnover this weekend. And I expect Arkansas to escape Oxford with the win. 31-27 this weekend over the Rebels in Oxford. I know it's a low output for Ole Miss, but I just don't think they can keep up that high-scoring pace. And these teams always play each other close. Arkansas was one of the only defenses last year to give them problems. I think they're better this year, and I'm just a believer in the Razorbacks You know when they're not playing Georgia in Athens. So I got the Razorbacks 31, the Rebels 27. Guys, are headed to Dallas, man. The Cotton Bowl, the Red River Shootout, the Red River Robbery, whatever you want to call it, man. We got a Red River Showdown in Dallas this weekend. Another ranked matchup in this long storied history of this game. And both teams are right in contention for the Big 12. And this could be you know, the game that puts someone over the top to let them take control of this conference. And this could be one, this is going to be one of the last times we see this matchup, you know, over these next few years as a Big 12 matchup. It'll be an SEC matchup 
in the coming years. And really and truly, both of these teams are playing so well that we could see a rematch just like we saw in 2018, possibly in Arlington, Texas, later this year. But we got the number six Oklahoma Sooners taking all the number 21 Texas Longhorns. Oklahoma, as we're recording, is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. This game kicks off 11 a.m. Central Time live on ABC. But, man, the storylines for this game, we could go on and on and on. But we'll start with the Sooners here. Coming into this game at 5-0, and looking to prove that they are, you know, worthy to the country, man. They've dropped four spots since the AP poll dropped week one. But the, the thing the Sooners have done week after week is just find a way to win football games. And it's really, it's it's so weird to say this, but it's really relied on the defense at times as they've continued their improvement under Alex Grinch. And, and they've won these games based on their defense making a key stop here or there. And then also, is there a bigger stage for for Rattler, Spencer Rattler, to put his name, I guess, back into that Hosman talk, you know, have his Hosman moment. There's not a bigger stage to do that. We've seen quarterback after quarterback put their name into the hat in this rivalry game. And a big performance this week, he could do just that for Rattler, especially after he could have his redemption moment after being benched in this game last year before coming back in and leading the second half comeback for the Sooners. On the other side, Steve Sarkeesian with his debut in this big robbery game. The Longhorns have come a long way since their loss to Arkansas, which, let's just be honest, has looks like a very good loss right now. But we'll get to that a little bit later. But a 4-1 record, Casey Thompson, the new starting quarterback, has become a star for the Longhorns. And Sarkeesian has, been, has begun to work his magic on this offense. And this could be the type of win that launches and changes Texas' season as they get into Big 12 play. Now, the Sooners are looking for their fourth straight win over the Longhorns going back to the 2018 Big 12 championship game and have won nine of the last 12 matchups with the Longhorns. But seven of the eight mat- last of these last eight matchups have been one-score games. As we know with rivalry games, throw, throw the records out the window, throw the history at, you know out the window. This is going to be a very close game between two very, very talented teams. And three-and-a-half-point spread feels like a such a large amount because, I mean, this game could come down to one point, one play, one moment like it does year in and year out. But let's get to the keys to victory for each of these teams. The Sooners, it's easy. And it's not put it all on Spencer Rattler like some people think. It's find a way to establish their rushing attack because that's how they're going to win this game. They have two great very talented running backs, but their running game has been inconsistent at times. And this rushing game is going to have to aid Spencer Rattler and control the pace of the game because you already know what, I mean, we haven't got to the keys for Texas, but you know, the name Bajan Robinson is on that other, is on that other sideline. And he's going to be the focal point of anything the Longhorns tried to do. And you cannot let them to one, control the pace of the game two, control the time of possession, and three, just wear down your defense. You're going to have to match your own rushing attack and be able to sustain some drives down the field and keep your defense fresh late into the game. And we saw, we've seen that you can't just throw it all on Rattler and make him throw it around the yard 50, 60 times a game. You're going to have to run the ball consistently this weekend. They're at, the Sooners are averaging over 430 yards per game. They're rushing for about 150 and averaging about 4.7 yards per rush for the season thus far. 
But the good thing is the Longhorns are giving up about 170 yards per game on the ground. And Zachary Evans made a big impact on the ground last week. And Arkansas really leaned on their run game to beat Texas and Fayetteville just a few weeks back. So you should be able to run the ball if you're Oklahoma this weekend. They use a two-running back system, and both of these guys have proven their worth on the biggest stage, but they're going to have to step their game up to the next level this weekend if they if they want to beat the Longhorns down in the Cotton Bowl this weekend. Kennedy Brooks, man, 318 rushing yards this year, 5.9 average and four rushing touchdowns, while Eric Gray's got 245 on the ground and averaging about five yards per carry. But the thing about Gray is he's also a dangerous receiving threat out the backfield, which could offer an additional level of danger and concern for this Longhorns defense because they can get him out into space. And Eric Gray is the type of guy that if he makes one or two guys miss, he's taking it to the house and he has that type of explosive ability. I really, you know, I thought Eric Gray was going to be a huge factor for the Sooners offense. I want to start seeing him build out his role more in this offense. He's got eight catches for 85 yards and a receiving touchdown. I'm expecting the Sooners to try and establish the run game early because, like I said, you cannot lose the time of possession battle. And you can't allow Texas to establish their will on the other side of the football and control the pace of the game because you already know Bajan Robinson is coming up when you're not on the field. Now, Rattler has played well this season, but the Sooners, for me, have failed to have that it factor yet. And it just feels like, and I know some, I know Josh Pate for two four seven said this as well. It just feels like a, it feels like it's bound to happen at any time. It feels like a dam ready to break and. It just hasn't broke week after week. You haven't really seen that breakout game. And I think Rattler has a lot to prove after being benched last year. He's putting up solid numbers, but no one has been super impressed. And I'll get into what I think is missing. But first, man, he's completing 76% of his passes, which is what I was talking about. He's doing in a, He's playing at an elite level, 1,200 yards, 10 passing touchdowns, four picks, two rushing touchdowns. He's averaging about eight yards of completion. The it factor that everyone that it seems like they're missing and no one's really talked about this is the deep ball has been really missing in Rattler's game this year. The Sooners have not been able to push the ball up the field like they have in previous seasons, and it's really limiting this Oklahoma's offense. This Oklahoma offense's rhythm, their explosiveness, and for me, it's an area that I did not expect the Sooners to struggle in. In passes 20 or more yards down the field, Rattler's only completing 25% of his passes for 102 yards and two picks. That's a 31.4 passing grade by Pro Football Focus. You have to do better if you're Rattler. You have to put pressure on the back end of this Texas secondary. The underneath game has been the key for the Sooners, and it's the, the formula has been simple for Lincoln Riley this year, is to get the ball in your playmakers' hands and allow them to make plays in open space, which, which they've excelled at all season long. He's complete, Underneath, he's completed 85% of his passes for eight touchdowns, uh, over 650 yards, and an 83-plus grade. On, on, on his passes in terms of passing grade. That's from behind the line of scrimmage to nine yards down the field. So for me, the running game is going to be important because over 50% of Rattler's passes have come off play-action concepts this season, and he's graded up over a 90 in terms of passing grade off of play-action. He's struggling pushing the ball down the field. So if they can establish a consistent run game, they'll load the box, and Rattler should have some time to get deep because Marvin Mills, 
uh, Hazelwood, Michael Woods, all these guys can be deep threats. They just haven't got to show it yet. And that, for me, has been the it factor that's been missing from this Oklahoma offense. So I'm expecting a heavy dose of Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray this weekend on the ground. Now, for the Longhorns, I hate repeating myself and picking the same key, but every key for the Longhorns starts with Bajan Robinson. I don't care what anyone says, what YouTuber you watch, what analyst you watch, anything. Texas, The Texas game plan is Bajan Robinson we're over and over and over and over again until Oklahoma makes you stop. You know, Oklahoma forces you to pass the ball. He's going to be the toughest test that Oklahoma's this Oklahoma defense has seen all season. And on the flip side, this Oklahoma front seven is going to probably be the best front seven that Texas has seen. They're only allowing about eighty yards per you know per game in rushing yards. But this off Longhorns offense for Steve Sarkeesian relies on the running back to really set up everything else and make it click at full speed. You look at what Najee Harris brought to that Alabama offense last year. That's what Bajan Robinson is to this Texas Steve Sarkeesian offense now. The offense has been playing light out since the Arkansas game. They've scored 30 or more points each week, and they have two games over 58 points, including a 70-point explosion over Texas Tech. Now, it all starts with the rushing attack, averaging over 268 yards per game, and Bajan Robinson already has over 650 yards rushing, seven rushing touchdowns, over six six yards per carry. And Rashawn Johnson and Keelan Robinson have also been a great backup duo for them. 228 yards and over seven yards per carry for Johnson, three rushing touchdowns. And for Keelan Robinson, over 7.6 yards per carry and two rushing touchdowns. This rushing attack is so explosive. And I was checking out some, some of the stats, watching some film, Texas dominates the right side of the offensive line of scrimmage. Uh, they they have tons of success off the right side behind Junior Ngalu and Andre Carrick, the guard and tackle on that side. They have 96 carries for 700 yards, 13 rushing touchdowns, and over seven yards per carry when rushing off the right side of the offensive line. And it's headlined by off the right edge, they have four touchdowns and over 200 yards rushing on only 30 carries off the edge on the right side. That's going to be the key. Can you know that's where they run up over you know probably over 50 percent of their runs come off that right side? Can Oklahoma find a way to get them out of their comfort zone on that on that mark? Now Casey Thompson is going to have to have a great game this weekend. He had a, he kind of had a tough performance last weekend against TCU. I'm not taking a lot of stock into that because TCU has an elite secondary. Let's just be completely honest there. But he's going to have to make some critical throws this weekend. And establishing the rushing attack with Robinson and those other backs are going to be the key to keep the pressure off of Thompson throughout this game. He's completing over 70% of his passes for 707 yards nine passing touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns, and only three picks since he's become the starting quarterback. And where he thrives is the intermediate passing concepts that is going to be extremely important this weekend because the Sooner secondary will allow you to throw for some yards this weekend. And the question will be, can Thompson take advantage of that? He's com- he's completed 70% of his passes over the middle, three over 300 yards, 13.9 yards per completion, five touchdowns, has an 88.7 passing grade between passes 10 to 19 yards down the field. 
that's where he thrives. And if he can beat them over the middle in those intermediate routes, Texas is going to find a way to probably win this game. Now, the key for just Thompson overall, be calm and composed in such an electric environment that he's going to see this weekend. He's got to also be efficient and play his game. You don't have to try to match everything Radler does. Just be yourself, play within the Steve Sarkeesian offense, and this could be his introduction to the country as one of the as one of the future guys to watch out for in the college football. Now, the matchup to watch for me was so hard because I've thought about doing the Texas secondary versus the wide receivers for Oklahoma. I thought doing the same thing on the, on the flip side, Texas wide receivers versus Oklahoma's secondary. But because the run game for Texas is so important and keeping a young quarterback like Thompson calm, cool, and collected in the pocket, I'm going to have to go the Texas offensive line against the Oklahoma defensive line. Because like I said, it's important for the Longhorns rushing attack, but keeping Thompson comfortable in the pocket and letting him establish his rhythm might be more important. Now, the Texas O-line is going to be probably, in my opinion, the most important positional unit in this game. And they've played so well this season. Thompson's only been sacked three times. Hudson Card was sacked six, but Thompson's mobility out in the pocket and his pocket presence have really helped this offensive line establish themselves. Der- but Derek uh, Kerstetter is one of the top pass-, pass blockers in the country, has a great pass blocking grade this season, and he's not allowed a sack or quarterback hit this season from his tackle spot. But Ngalu and Carrick, the two guys I mentioned earlier, have been some of the best run-blocking offensive linemen on this team. The one spot I'm worried about is Jake Majors at center. He has been the weak spot in pass blocking, and he has easily the lowest pass blocking grade on this team. And he has been he's lost a lot of matchups on the inside and that's not good for this matchup because Oklahoma's D tackles are one of their strengths. He's going to have to step up this weekend and and make some plays for this Texas O-line. Thompson though has been a different quarterback under pressure. This is why I picked this one under pressure. He's completing less than 52% of his passes, two interceptions and is only averaging six yards of completion and has a 50.0 passing grade. Not great. But the thing about the Longhorns O-line is they played so well, he's only gotten pressure on 28% of his dropbacks this year. And so they're going to have to have that type of production and keep Thompson clean and calm in the pocket this weekend. Now, the Sooners defense loaded on the defensive line, and this is by far the strength of this defense. The Sooners are only allowing 80 rushing yards per game. They have 18 sacks and 80 pressures over the first six games. Elite production from that defensive line, and it all starts with Nick Benito at the edge spot. Three sacks, 14 pressures, and is already one of the highest-graded pass rushers in the country. And Isaiah Thomas and Reggie Grimes have also been formidable edge presence for the Sooners. Six combined sacks, 14 pressures for them. But the key here, I already told you up the middle is where Oklahoma can get Texas in terms of pass rushing. Perion Winfrey and Jalen Redman are going to be X factors in this matchup. They've been stout and run defense from the inside of the defensive line. They've combined for five sacks and 17 pressures. If you can get pressure up the middle on a young quarterback, that is going to play right into Oklahoma's hands because if he tries, that's not that's one not going to allow him to step into his throws. Two, he can't escape up the front of the pocket, and if he tries to roll. Benito and those edge guys have the speed to make some plays if he tries to roll out up and out of the pocket. So for me, 
Winfrey and Redmond getting pressure up the middle is key for Oklahoma in this matchup. Now, this was, you know, we've covered some really good games this week. This is probably one of the hardest games that I've had to pick because, like, part of me saying go with the Longhorns. They've been so good these past few weeks, and the offense has been great, and I think they can make enough stops. But, man, I, like I said, I try to be as unbiased as possible. Just, it's just right now I feel like if there's a game where this Oklahoma offense is going to be explosive, it's this one. And I was looking at it. I trust the Oklahoma front seven to make a play to win this game more than I trust the Texas defense too. I think it's going to come down to a field goal, even though even though Dicker for Texas is by far the best kicker. I think Oklahoma just makes one more play than Texas to win this game. They get their fourth straight win over the Longhorns, 34-31 to 31 this weekend in Dallas. So I got a three-point win for Oklahoma, 34-31. It's such a tough game to predict. If, we, if I come on here on Sunday with my instant reaction and Texas wins, I won't be surprised. It's just I have a little bit more faith in Oklahoma right now. I think that front seven's legit, and it's just about time, man. Spencer Rather, go make a play this weekend. But for me, I got I got the Sooners by three. But, guys, subscribe. Now we get to our game of the week here on the Blue Blood. So you all know what that means. Comment your score predictions below, subscribe, and like the video to enter our giveaway. If you can predict the exact score and the winner correctly in the comments, you will win our $50 giveaway. I will be Venmoing y'all, PayPal and y'all, whatever is best for you guys, y'all's winnings, if y'all can get the score, winner, correct, and your subscribe. So make sure to do all those things right now before we get into this video. But the game of the week couldn't be any bigger. It is. It goes down not only in one of the best environments in college football in Kinnick Stadium. We have a top five matchup between number four Penn State and number three Iowa. And Iowa is a two and a half point favorite. The game kicks off at 3 p.m. Central Time live on Fox. And we have not, this matchup will not only shake up the Big Ten title race, but also has gigantic college football playoff implications moving forward for both of these teams. And for storylines, I mean, if it couldn't get any bigger, you have the Hawkeyes coming in at 5-0, and looking for their second top 10 win of the season, while also having a chance to establish themselves as real national title contenders, proving all the doubters wrong, and really and truly establishing Kirk Ferentz as one of the most underrated coaches in the country. He deserves his respect. And if they win this game, you kind of solidify yourself right up there with the Georgia Alabamas as one of the favorites to come away with the trophy at the end of the year. And then on the other side, you've got to give the Nittany Lions some credit, man. They fought off injury. They fought off turnover in terms of positions. They fought off uh, coaching rumors for the USC job for James Franklin, and now they're paid. They've powered their way to a five and zero record, looking for their third top twenty five win of the season, and they're looking to set themselves up as favorites in the Big Ten. And really and truly, there's a little bit of I, I would say personally, there's a there's a little bit of motivation added based on what happened in 2016 when they win the Big Ten and they don't get any credit and they don't they don't get in and it was all they got snubbed to say the least. And so being able to get this win it puts themselves it put themselves in perfect position to take control of the Big Ten and get in the college football playoff for the first time in school history. 
Looking at this series, the Dittany Lions lead the overall series 17 to 13, and they have won six of the last seven games. But the last matchup last year, a 20-point Iowa win over the Nittany Lions. So this is a very competitive series, and I'm expecting a very competitive game on Saturday afternoon. Now, for the keys to the matchup, man, let's get to the Hawkeyes. And it should be clear the exact key after their first five wins and their their dominant win over Maryland last week, which I incorrectly predicted the upset. That was my upset pick of the week. I was completely wrong. Shout out to Iowa for making me look like a liar. But – it's to stay balanced. <clears throat> That's going to be the key the whole time for this Iowa team. you got to keep it simple, do what you do best, lean on the run game, and then allow Spencer Petrus to just simply attack the defense, distribute the ball, keep the ball out of harm's way, and let his playmakers make plays out in space and put the ball in your best, best athlete's hands. You don't have to be flashy. You don't have to put up 600 yards a game. All you have to do is be consistent, control the pace of the game, don't turn the ball over, and just play Iowa football, which is that smash-mouth, grinded-out type football, and just establish your offensive rhythm. That's going to be the recipe for success for the Hawkeyes all season long until proven otherwise. I mean, you look at how balanced they are. They're averaging almost 200 yards passing and over 120 rushing yards per game. And when they're clicking, when that rhythm's going at at its highest level, they can be one of the most efficient offenses in the country, especially as they stay on pace and stay in front of the chains and don't get into those second and third and longs. Now, Spencer Petrus does not receive a lot of credit for what he actually does for this offense, guys. Yes, he's not going to throw for 400 yards a game like Matt Corral. He's not just going to put put on just a ridiculous performance like Bryce Young. But what he's going to do is he's going to be efficient. He's going to limit turnovers. And what he's going to be is a perfect fit for this Iowa offense. He's completing 62% of his passes, almost 1,000 yards passing. He's averaging over 7.5 yards per attempt with seven passing touchdowns, three rushing, and only one turnover for the season. And he's been one of the highest-graded quarterbacks in the country with a 90.2 passing grade by Pro Football uh, Focus, which shows exactly how efficient, important, and great he's been for this this, um, Hawkeyes offense. He thrives on short passes, guys. You know, he throws short, he throws zero to nine yards on over 40% of his passes. But then what he does is once that defense starts creeping up, they got their eyes in the backfield, they got their eyes underneath. He can thrive on the deep ball and take a deep shot once those one on one matchups and once those opportunities become available. He grades at a 94.9 pro football focus passing grade on passes 20 plus yards down the field, in which he's already thrown three touchdowns for over 250 yards. He avoids the turnovers, and he has to do that again this weekend. You've got to avoid turnovers, and you have to be able to take the deep shot when they are available. That's the key to escaping with the win this weekend against the Nittany Lions. Auburn and Bo Nix, when they came when they came into Happy Valley a few weeks ago, they had a chance to win, but they missed on their deep opportunities. Petrus and this offense have to hit their deep shots. They have to push the ball down the field and they have to stay ahead of the chains and protect the quarterback. So that's going to be something to watch. But don't forget Tyler Goodson and Ivory Kelly Martin at the running back spot. Both of those guys are going to be X factors in terms of controlling the game, establishing the run, 
and really establishing the balance that I'm looking for out of this Hawkeyes offense. Now, the key to the game for the Nittany Lions is going to be on the shoulders of Sean Clifford because the Nittany Lions have absolutely struggled to run the ball against pretty good defenses. They struggled against Wisconsin. They struggled against Auburn, and I'm expecting them not to be great at establishing the run this weekend against a very, very stout Iowa defense. Now, what that that, that means is that Clifford has to continue his outstanding 2021 season and try to take advantage of the Hawkeyes in that intermediate range, which is where Clifford lives this season, to say the least. Now, his Penn State offense has completely relied on Clifford's playmaking ability. And honestly, he's having one of his best years that he's had as the Penn State starting quarterback. He has to prove it again this weekend. He's completing over 67% of his passes for over 1,300 yards, 11 touchdowns, and only three interceptions. And he's looked, just watching the film on him, he looks more confident. He's embraced the big moments. And what he's done is he's led this offense to an outstanding level of production when needed. Yes, it hasn't always been pretty, but when Penn State needs to drive, when Penn State needs to play, Sean Clifford has absolutely come through for Penn State. Now, most of his damage has been done 0 to 19 yards down the field from that short to intermediate range. And he's completed over 70% of his passes in that range for over 800 yards, seven touchdowns, and two picks. That's where Clifford dominated Auburn, where he only missed four passes. He was 28 for 32 and picked Auburn's secondary apart. He's going to have to do that this weekend and ease some of that pressure off the running game because it's going to, they're going to have to run the ball. But if, if Clifford can get going, it's really going to help that running game open up without a loaded box from the Hawkeyes' defense. Now, the running game was better last weekend for the Nittany Lions against the Hoosiers. Over 200 yards rushing, four different players had over eight carries, but this weekend's definitely going to be their biggest test to come. Noah Kane has been RB1 all year with about 187 yards, three touchdowns, but he's only averaging about three yards per carry. He has not been great in terms of that average. But Kayvon Lee has been my favorite guy to watch. 174, 6.2 yards per carry, and has been the most explosive, consistent running back over these past two weeks. Now, John Lavette, the, the transfer from Baylor, has 95 yards, averaging about four yards per carry, but really hasn't established himself as a guy who's going to be a lot in the game plan, but he's someone to watch if Penn State needs some depth at that running back spot. So for me, those those are the keys for both teams. So moving to the matchup to watch. This one, oh man, this this one was tough. I, I feel like you could go either way on this, but for me, the Penn State wide receivers versus the Iowa secondary – is the matchup that's going to be best versus best and is really going to go a long way in determining who can come out of this matchup with a huge win. Now, as Penn State wide receiving core has been solid all year long, and they should get a lot of credit for Clifford's development and production this season. And it course, it's headlined by Jahan Dotson, one of my favorite wide receivers. I, I ranted about this kid on the Penn State Auburn preview. I thought he was going to be the X Factor, and he was with 10 catches. He's putting together quietly one of the most impressive wide receiver seasons in the country right now. 35 catches for over 400 yards, six touchdowns, averaging almost 13 yards per catch. 
what he's doing, he's starting to open up opportunities for other guys. Parker Washington, 25 catches for over 300 yards and two touchdowns. And Keandre Lambert-Smith, 13 catches for over 200 yards and a touchdown. He's averaging over 17 yards per catch. So Dotson's attempt. You know, drawing attention from the secondary is really helping out some of these other guys. And all three of these guys have to have a big day this this weekend. The wide receiving core has to create separation. They have to be consistent on their routes. And they have to make plays for Clifford. If, if this Iowa secondary is able to clamp them like they have been other teams all this season, it's going to be a long weekend. But at the same time, if Dotson can go out there and put on a performance, he could have his Bolitnikoff-type performance where he establishes himself as the favorite for the Bolitnikoff Award this season. He has a in, For Dotson, he has such a unique ability to make plays all over the field and play multiple different wide receiving positions. He can play the X. He can play slot. Uh, I mean, he can play any position you want to put him in this offense. He grades above a 90.0 in terms of receiving grade for pro football focus on catches be, behind the line of scrimmage, intermediate routes at 10 to, 10 to 19 yards, and the deep ball 20-plus down the field, which shows his versatility. And I expect this to be – I expect Penn State, like they did against Auburn, to scheme Dotson into one-on-one matchups that he can win and that give him the favorable advantage and get him the ball early and often throughout this game. And Washington, on the other hand, acts as a great threat over the middle. He is a great intermediate route runner gets a 95.1 PFF grade in terms of intermediate routes, 10 to 19 yards, and gets a lot of great opportunities over the middle due to Dotson drawing a lot of secondary attention from opposing defenses. So watch out for these Penn State wide receivers. These guys have to have a big game. And on the other side of this matchup, let's just say the Iowa secondary has been one of the best in the country, and I would expect that this is their biggest test, and I'm excited to see how they respond to that. Last weekend, this Hawkeyes defense, guys, against Maryland was the second highest graded defense in the country behind Georgia. And it was mostly due to the secondary shutting down an elite passing attack of Maryland and embarrassing Tagovailoa and those wide receivers. Matt Hankins and Riley Moss are the top two corners on this Iowa team. And they last weekend had one hell of a performance. Hankins did not have any catches allowed, and Moss did not allow a catch to go for beyond a first down and got a huge interception, which gives him three for the season. Hankins and Moss are elite playmakers on the outside of this defense, and I expect, I'm hope, if I'm Awa, one of these guys is traveling with Jahan Dotson, and we are not letting him breathe at all this weekend. So I'm interested to see how this defense for Iowa schemes it up to slow down Dotson. Because once you slow down Dotson, it's going to be very interesting to see where Penn State turns to get production on the offensive side of the ball. Now, Kavion Merriweather and Jack Conner are also two names you have to watch at the safety spot because Penn State in the Auburn game did a great job of sliding and moving and motioning Jahan Dotson around to get him matched up on linebackers and safeties, and he just absolutely ate in those matchups. If Merriweather or Corner get matched up on Dotson, they're going to have to perform, and they're going to have to be ready for that. So those are two guys to also watch out for. Overall, this matchup is going to be so important for 
determining who wins this weekend. If Dotson and these wide receivers can be electric and productive, there's absolutely a great chance that Penn State can escape Kinnick with a big win. But Iowa continues if, – if Iowa continues their defensive domination, I have a tough time seeing the Hawkeyes fall in their home stadium with the defensive performance like they've been putting up. Now, as I said, this is our game of the week, so I need y'all to go ahead and comment your scores below. That way you enter the giveaway and subscribe and like the video. But for me, I think these are like this is one of those pick'em games where I can see it going either way. It's gonna come down to Clifford and Petra and Petrus, who has the better game, who avoids the turnovers, and who can push the ball down the field. And then it's gonna come down to which defense can make enough plays to stop the other one. Because I think this is gonna be a low scoring game. It's gonna be one of those old school big Big 10 games where it's like 3-3 at halftime, and I don't see either team putting up over 21-22 points at that. 21 to 24 points would be huge for either of these teams. But for me, home field advantage at Kinnick is different. This place is going to be electric. Listen, you can never bet against Kinnick Stadium. Weird things happen in there, and when big games go to Kinnick, Different things happen. So I think the home field advantage plays a huge part. I love the secondary of Iowa. They made me believers last week, and I, I can't I can't pick against them again. So for me, I'm going Hawkeyes here 14 to 10 over, over the Nittany Lions. So a four-point win for the Hawkeyes. And I just think Kinnick is too big of an environment. I think Clifford makes just a few mistakes. I think Moss or Hankins get a pick or two here or there, and that's the difference in the game. And both teams only get two scores, man, 14 to 10. Hawkeyes for me this weekend in Kinnick Stadium in a huge top five matchup that I cannot wait to watch. But, guys, like I said, comment your scores below to enter our $50 Game of the Week giveaway. And also on top of that, make sure to hit that subscribe button and like the video. That way you can uh, get your art. You know, get your money if you predict it right. It's going to be a huge matchup. Also, comment your analysis and takeaways or what you're looking forward to in this game below as well. Love to hear y'all's opinions on all these games. And I appreciate y'all tuning into the Blue Bloods, man. Got the best and most college football content on YouTube right now. I promise you, you ain't finding this stuff anywhere else. So I appreciate y'all tuning in. But for right now, the Blue Bloods are out. <laughs>